Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 106, Amish and the Civil War, an interview with Jan Drexler, coming to you on Thursday, November 1st, 2018. How are you today? I hope you are doing awesome. I'm doing awesome. You almost can't tell that I've had a cold for three weeks uh, because I'm getting over it. Yay! So happy. It is the middle of a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. It's, uh, let's see, it's like 1.30 in the afternoon, so not the middle of the afternoon, it's the middle of the day. And I'm so excited because the sun is out (laughs) and it's not like 35 degrees anymore. We had like this weird cold snap and now it's back up into the 50s in Malmö, Sweden. Yay! And it's Halloween day. So I've got my Black Widow t-shirt that I got in the Marvel um the Marvel store. I don't know. Does it have a name? The Marvel store at uh, Walt Disney World last year for John's birthday. He has the Iron Man t-shirt. I have the Black Widow t-shirt. It is all I have for a Halloween costume because everything else is in the United States in a storage unit. So this will do. <laughs> I will be Black Widow for the day. And my writer's group is coming over tonight and we're going to critique and eat. And I have a feeling some of them are really going to be dressed up, which will be quite fun. And then, this is why I'm really excited, tomorrow starts National Novel Writing Month. Yay! Okay, the reason why I get excited uh, right this second, but not always in the past, is because I get excited if November 1st happens to coincide with me having a writing schedule that means starting a new book. Because there's no way that I'm just going to like stop in the middle of another book and (laughs) write a new book just because it's November 1st. So I'm very excited because um, I am going to be writing, I'm pretty sure, I've changed my mind like four times, but it's still October 31st. I still have a few hours to make sure. But right now, I'm planning on writing a really fun Christmas romance and uh, sending it into Hallmark Publishing during their open submission period in February 2019. So um, my friend Elena is also going to be writing a Hallmark story of some kind. Her ideas also have changed and morphed over the last, I don't know, couple of weeks, couple of, I don't know, month or two that we've been talking about it. I don't know how long we've been talking about it. But see, I'm just excited. I'm excited because I have a new story to start. Yay! I hope you do too. I hope you have something fun that you're excited to be working on, whether you're in the middle of it or the editing or the publishing process or starting something new. I hope that you're feeling very excited. And I'm excited because Jan Drexler, our guest today, has some really fun tips for us that are going to be great for anybody who is working on writing a book in a month during National Novel Writing Month. So by the way, if you want to find out more about that, because this is a new thing to you, it's, um, people call it NaNoWriMo because it's the first couple of letters of each word. I mean, like the organization itself calls itself that. And that's the uh, website address, NaNoWriMo.org. But if you just Google National Novel Writing Month, then you'll find probably the very first Google, um, uh, uh, not reply, the, the very first entry there will be... Um, NaNoWriMo.org. So anyway, Jan Drexler here today talking about Amish and being in the Civil War period. And I don't know why it never occurred to me to even think about it, but she's got some really interesting problems that these people are, are facing because, you know, the Amish don't fight in wars. And here they are in the middle of a war in their country. I'm like, oh, right. 
So it's a really interesting interview if you have any interest in either of those two topics. Jan's quite well versed in both of them, having come from uh, Amish Mennonite brethren ancestors and also um, being a, a Civil War uh I don't know if she said she's a reenactor or not, but like she's a Civil War buff. She knows a ton about it. So it's a very interesting conversation from those two perspectives. But, you know, I always ask my guests to make sure that all of us who are listening to them can pick up some tips on how to do something writing-wise better or uh, learn something new having to do with writing. And she's got some tips that I was like, this is going to be great for National Novel Writing Month. So I definitely wanted to play the episode for you today, November 1st. So yay, I think you're going to have fun. I'm excited. I got to go plot this novel that I'm going to start tomorrow because all I have is like three paragraphs about there's a boy and a girl and they fall in love and it's Christmas. But you know, three paragraphs worth it. So it's more than what I just said, but not a lot more. I know there's a nutcracker and a Christmas store and it's going to be super fun. So listen to this episode, get psyched, and then whatever you're writing on, like go have fun with it. Just have fun. Even if you're murdering people, like have fun killing them. I only say that because we've had some really great authors on here talking about their, their, uh, their killing off of, um, you know, various characters. Okay. I'm too excited. I have to stop talking and go work on my book. Listen to this interview. You're going to love Jan. She's totally cool. Today's guest is Jan Drexler. Jan brings a unique understanding of Amish traditions and beliefs to her writing. Her ancestors were among the first Amish, Mennonite, and Brethren immigrants to Pennsylvania in the 1700s, and their experiences are the inspiration for her stories. Jan lives in the Black Hills of South Dakota with her husband, where she enjoys hiking and spending time with her expanding family. She is the author of several love-inspired historical novels, as well as Hannah's Choice, Maddie's Pledge, a 2017 Holt Medallion finalist, and Naomi's Hope. Welcome, Jan. Thank you. Thank you, Kitty. I'm, I'm, in, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. We had a couple of technical glitches, and, and then we're like, technical glitches make us so excited when we're actually making it happen. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so it's good to see us. We're both smiley. We can see and hear each other. <laughs> right. That's always a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, let's just jump right into your new book. So it is um, probably going to be, I'm guessing, maybe November when people are actually listening to us talk. But uh, your book, The Sound of Distant Thunder, came out September 18th. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, it's the first book in a new trilogy. Um, The trilogy is called The Amish of Weaver's Creek. And the whole uh, series takes place during the American Civil War. So the Sound of Distant Thunder starts about a year after the war really began. And the hero is a young Amish man who has not yet joined the church. And he has a lot of um, thinking about how does he feel about the war? He is anti-slavery. He has visited an abolitionist society meeting. And he feels like something needs to be done to stop slavery. But on the other hand, his church teaches that war of any kind is wrong, that that is not the way to solve problems or or anything. So he's in this quandary of whether, you know, is he going to join the church when he has these questions? He's not really thinking about going to war, 
until the, the state of Ohio started conscription in 1863 in order to fulfill their obligations for the armies. And his brother's name comes up in the draft. And Jonas really doesn't feel like he can stand by and let his brother suffer by um, his brothers already said he wouldn't cooperate with paying a commutation fee or anything else. So Jonas takes his place in the army, much to his girlfriend's dismay because she has her own plans and she wants to get married. And um, she's still quite young. She's only 17. And her father has said, you need to wait until you're 18 to get married. So there's this, the conflict between Jonas and whether he's going to go and join the church or not. And then there's a conflict between Jonas and Katie about him following what he really feels he needs to do to keep his brother out of the army. And so the, the story goes from there. Wow. I have to say, I never really thought about the draft during the Civil War until I started reading your book. And then I was like, oh, is this the first time? Do you even know when we started doing that? I think it was the first time the United States started conscription um, in this way. I think during the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812, they may have done some things locally, but not statewide. Yeah. Well, I know that it's not at all the same, except that you could lose your life and you're doing it to protect your family. But as soon as you say his name comes up and he takes his brother's place, I'm like, oh, it's kind of like the Hunger Games, but with the Amish and the Civil War. (laughs) That's probably not the way that the author would describe it. Well, I've never read the Hunger Games, so no, I didn't have that in mind. Well, it's always a beautiful kind of self-sacrificing moment when you see somebody Mm -hmm. willing to potentially do something that they will die during in order to save their family. And this is, I don't want to give away anything in the story, but this is the brother who has a family already. Yes. Yes. He is older than Jonas and married. He has uh, four children and he's a member of the church, which, um, really when you take vows of membership to the Amish church, you need to fulfill those membership vows. And one of those vows is to be non-resistant, not to participate in war or fighting or anything. Yeah. So um, by Jonah stepping forward, not being a member of the church, he's not breaking any of those vows, but he's protecting his brother from having to break those vows. Yeah. And what's, um, what was the situation for other Amish during this time who, once they had taken their vows to be a part of the church and to go along with the church's teaching and to be non-resistant, mm-hmm. if they did become, uh, uh, you know, have their name come up in the draft, like what happens to them? Well, there was a politician in Ohio who was trying to get Amish votes, I think, Amish and Mennonite votes. But he's the one who spearheaded the effort to provide a way for um, people who were members of certain churches, Quakers, Mennonites, Amish, and Dunkers, the brethren, to pay a commutation fee or hire a substitute to take their place. Mm -hmm. So that if they had this religious feeling about not fighting, they could provide somebody else to fight for them. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So most of the Amish... And Mennonites, most of them did that. 
they they paid the commutation fee, um, the communities would get together and the entire church would sell what they needed to raise the money somehow to pay the commutation fees for the members of their church. Oh, wow. And so it was a very common thing to do. But there were a few people who, who did not feel that they could even support the military that way oh. to pay the fee or hire a substitute. Yeah. And if they had really not done any of those things, then I suppose they, they might be, um, you know, possibly arrested. Yes, yes. They would be subject to arrest or, or um, possibly have, needing to leave the country. And wow. some of them did that. They moved to Canada rather oh, than yeah. deal with the decision. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So, um how, how much Civil War stuff did you already know? Like, are you a, a Civil War aficionado and you already knew about it? Or you just decided this is a cool period and I'm going to start research. Like the first thing, you know, the first amount of information that I've had since you know, <laughs> high school or college. Like, where, where were you at with your ideas here? Well, I'm already a Civil War buff. I, I love history. And the Civil War is a unique period of time. And my husband is also a Civil War buff. And when we lived in the, oh, the Kentucky area, we lived in Kentucky for five years. We spent some time visiting Civil War battlefields, and we've gone to a couple others, not as many as we would like to. Yeah. But just the, the idea of the scope of that war and the senselessness of that war just yeah. captured my imagination. And um, one of my right. favorite movies is Gettysburg which was uh, produced by Ted Turner quite a while ago. But yeah. it's the story of the Battle of Gettysburg. And I watched that several times as I was preparing for this, um, for, for this book and this series. Yeah. Wow. So um, you were, you're already a Civil War buff, but you still have to do some research yes. for the new idea. So uh -huh. um, I, always, I always want to know, did you find out anything that you were like, whoa, that's interesting or weird or amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, before I start writing a book, I start, I, I start doing some research on the time period to see where, where are those nuggets that can turn into a story. And I, I found it in one book that I had called The Mennonite Amish in the American Civil War. Oh, wow. And talked about a young man who was actually Mennonite rather than Amish. And his, when he joined the army in Virginia, so he was on the Confederate side, but the, the story of his experiences and his family's reaction, and when I read that, I knew I had everything that I needed. You know, I, that was my nugget, and that was the starting point. Nice. Now, are you also kind of a, a family tree genealogy buff? Did you already oh. know stories? Okay, so tell us a little yeah. bit about your family history and how that also played into your, because this isn't your, your first Amish series either. either right? No, no, I've, I, almost all of my books are Amish stories. And I, um, when I was growing up, my grandmother lived in Goshen, Indiana, which is right in the middle of Indiana Amish country. And I would go and visit her. And she would point out the horses and buggies at the grocery store and the doctor, you know, along this road, they're everywhere. And she would say, our, our ancestors used to be Amish. You know, that's, that's what our ancestors were. And so I grew up wondering why we weren't. 
anymore. (laughs) And it was, um, my dad did a um, project when he retired of writing our family history. And he delved a little more deeply into it, but he didn't have the same questions I did as he wrote his family history. So I joined Ancestry.com and started putting together the family stories with the facts from um, census counts and things like that. And I found out that our family actually was Amish up until the Great Schism in the Amish church. So I had to find out what is the Great Schism in the Amish church. Okay. And that's when the old order Amish were separated from the rest of the more progressive Amish who then became, eventually most of them became Mennonite or Amish Mennonite. So that's when the old order Amish started. My ancestors went with the more progressive side, but my stories are all based, all of my characters are the old order Amish. Okay. And are all the stories pre this schism? Well, actually the journey to Pleasant Prairie series, my previous series with Ravel, took place at the beginning when the when the rumblings were just starting. It was in the 1840s. And it's at the same time, the rumblings of the Civil War were just starting in the 1840s. So this series, um, the Amish of Weaver's Creek, actually, the, there's a scene in the Sound of Distant Thunder of the first minister's meeting where they get together and try to resolve the differences. And they held the series of ministers' meetings over a few decades and never did resolve the problems. Yeah. But wow. so it's it's a it's a part it's it's struck me how that schism in the Amish church paralleled the schism that happened in our country. Yeah. And do you play with that in the series then? A little bit. Yeah, I I I it's kind of an underlying theme. You might catch it if you know that it's there. Right, right. Yeah, now you've got me thinking about it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to pay more attention. <laughs> it's always fun to put parallels in a book, you know. And, mm-hmm. It yeah. is. Yeah, I use a, I use a lot of uh, parallels and also contrasts to bring out the points in my stories. Nice. Well, you know what? Since this is a uh, podcast for, you know, I think your dog just wants to be a guest. That's the problem, right? <laughs> well, there's... There's something going on outside, and I have the door closed, but they lay outside my door. Yeah, because they need to be near you. And, well, that's right, but my husband's home. They have somebody to take care of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, so you have done like a ton of research. You already knew a lot of things before you got started, um, and since this is a podcast for writers, can you give us yeah. some idea of like um, kind start wherever you feel like. Is there a way that you found that you can organize information better? Or is there a way that you've figured out how to get the amount of research that you need, but not accidentally have these info dumps? Or tell us a little bit about your process. Oh, it's, uh, it's kind of back and forth. I start out with research, like I said, and I, I research until I find that story nugget. And then I start, then I go to my go out of research mode and into storytelling mode. And then I start developing the characters and the situation. What is it? But every, at the farther I go into that, then the more questions I have, and I go back to my research. Like um, in the book that is coming out, the second one in the series, 
I have Morgan's Raiders as part of that. And I knew that they came through Ohio. And my question was, well, could they have interacted with my characters? So that was, oh. that was a, a whole afternoon of research. Yeah. So wow. that was, that was a lot of fun. And, and that's what keeps me going in the story. I'll, I'll write part of the story then I'll go back and research some more. And I just go back and forth that way. The more I research, the more questions come up. Yeah. And the more I write, the more questions come up. And do you so, do this all the way through the first draft then? Almost, yeah, all the way through. Even the last scene, I'll be researching. You know, wow. I had a, um, in one book, I have a, a barn raising as, as one of the scenes. So I had to research how is a barn built? Yeah. And this one took place during the 1930s. So I had to focus on the 1930s, how the, how a barn was built. Right. Okay. You know, it sounds to me like this particular method, I know everybody has to do it their own way. And I'm a strong proponent of helping people to have lots of ideas of how they could do something, but then choose the way that really works for them. Right. But it seems to me that your method might be kind of a great way to get into the story, not get lost in the research, not never start because wait, I, I need to know right. some more before I can start. And that's why I started doing it this way because that's always a danger. Yeah. And I found myself doing that. I was, I would put, never start the story because I was so involved in the research. I could yeah. do research for months before I started <laughs> a story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm working on a story, sort of. Um, it's something that I was working on in grad school, and mm -hmm. uh, it's not really on the production schedule, so it's one of those things that I just kind of work on when I have a minute. But right. in my mind, I think, oh my gosh, I have so much research that needs to be done for this. That's why it can't go on the production schedule. Right. But right. a part of me is like, oh, you know what? You should probably just start writing. And like, <laughs> what? You know. And I'm like, but I don't know anything about, you know, this area that I right. want but I probably know more than I think, or at least I could narrow the research, right? Right. I, I have one of those stories. It's, a, it's not an Amish story, but it, it takes place during the fur trapping times in the mountains. Oh. And so in the early, 18, early, early 1800s, like around Lewis and Clark time period. Cool. And that, that story's out there. And every, every time I think about it, I think, oh, I want to get into that research. I have to buy this book. I, you know, I see books at the bookstore and I think, oh, I have to read that book. And then I think, no, I have deadlines coming up. Yeah. I cannot take the time to research this now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just keep a file on my computer for that story and, and stick in tidbits as they come to me. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I finally decided to do. There's a few things in the headlines from the last couple of years in the United States that I'm like, who needs research? I'm just going to use news. <laughs> this fits perfectly into my storyline. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Now, obviously, that's probably something, one of the pieces of research that you found. Is that right? That newspaper articles from the period? Yes. Uh, there's, uh, I think it's the... Library of Congress has a website where you can go and look up newspapers from the location and the time period that you're writing about. Wow. And so I was able to find my stories take place in Holmes County and I was able to find newspapers from the Holmes County area in the same time that I was writing. Yeah. So if there was a, 
I mentioned a meeting happening. That was that there was actually an ad in the newspaper advertising that meeting. Wow! So that's a lot of fun too. Yeah. And and by reading the paper, you get a lot of, um, you you see how the people were thinking, and how you know, their, the rhetoric went of, you know, how people talked and, and what they did to, to try to draw people to their side of the conflict. Yeah. Now, um, I'm pretty sure that this is not going to be any kind of a, uh, any, any spoiler at all for your book, but um, one brother likes reading the paper, one brother seems to refuse to read the paper at all. Yes. Is that kind of a normal Amish thing or was that a personal choice for that character, do you think? That's kind of a normal Amish thing to, um, and at the same time, it's a personal choice. The um, Amish normally are not participating in the world, but they do uh, keep up on current events and what's going on. They're just not participants, if that makes sense. Yeah. So for, for Samuel to say, no, I'm not going to read the paper is, is normal and natural for him. He, all he needs to know, there's a war going on. He's not involved in it. He doesn't have to worry beyond that. He's got other things to do. Yeah. Whereas Jonas was very interested in the, what was going on. He's, yeah. he's, uh, he's about eight years younger than Samuel. And there, there's a difference in a person when, you know, Samuel has the responsibilities of a farm and a family and those right. things. And Jonas doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, again, don't want to give away any parts of the story, just wondering about the history that you uh, were doing research for and history that you might have already known about. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking um, that, uh, and I, I don't, have the, um, don't have the exact series title again, something Weaver's Creek. It's The Amish of Weaver's Creek. The Amish of Weaver's Creek. So this is book one of a trilogy. Yes. Okay. And it's set in Ohio. Yes. Okay, so my question was, um, I know that there are also Amish in Florida and um, Mm -hmm. probably, you know, other places that I also didn't know about until, honestly, I learned about... I learned about the Amish in Florida when I was reading a book about two months before I went to Florida for something and somebody took me to an Amish restaurant where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm moving to Florida. (laughs) (laughs) It was like grandma's home cooking only style. And then I was like, I can't move here. I'll become like 400 pound kitty. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But so one of the things I was thinking is, um, you know, was Ohio a place where um, people, everyone, Amish and not Amish, would have any worries about the military having to take over their farm or their farmhouse or whatever, because I know that that did happen in the South. Yes, um, not normally. The, as the Morgan's Raiders were about the only ones that came into Indiana and Ohio. Um, in Pennsylvania, of course, there was the Lee's advance that brought that culminated in the Gettysburg battle. But mostly, if you were above the Mason-Dixon line, you didn't need to worry about soldiers passing through your area, taking all of your crops, taking all of your livestock, leaving you with nothing because the army had to be fed. Yeah. But in the okay. South, they really did experience that. And But at this time, in the 1860s, there, the only Amish communities were in Pennsylvania. There were uh, there's, of course, Lancaster County and Somerset County in the west. There was a small one in Maryland just over the 
um, Pennsylvania, Maryland border. And then this community in Ohio, one in Indiana, and then one in Illinois, and one in Ohio and Iowa. Oh. So those were the only Amish communities at that time. Oh. Now, of course, there's an Amish community in every state. Is there really? There's, there's a new one even in South Dakota. That's huh. only about three or four years old. But yeah, there's a, there's a community in every state now. Wow. Now, someone told me, I don't know uh, who, if it was, it was another author or, uh -huh. or just, you know, some person talking, that the, um, the Amish lifestyle and the Mennonite lifestyle have actually kind of come back into being popular for people who aren't currently Amish or Mennonite, but want to go back to a simpler kind of life. Do yeah. you know anything about that? Well, when we lived in Indiana, which was a lot of years ago, probably, let's see, 20 years ago, 25, 20 to 25 years ago, uh -huh. um, there was a family that really struck me because they drove a horse and a buggy, but they were definitely not Amish. Their, their, their wagon or buggy was painted bright green, <laughs> and they, they wore um, plain clothes, but not as plain as the Amish or the Old Order Mennonites would. Uh -huh. But they would, because of that area where so many people drove horses and buggies, they used their horse and buggy for their transportation to the grocery store and the doctor, just like their Amish neighbors did. And they lived that same kind of lifestyle, even though they weren't Amish. Yeah. And I can, I can see where there would be a lot of people doing that. And then there are also the people who have left the Amish church for one reason or another. They're most Amish teenagers become members of the church and stay Amish, but there are a number that have left mm -hmm. and they hold on to a lot of their lifestyle, even though they might drive a car now, but they run their household like their mother did and so yeah. on. That's so interesting. Wow. I mean, speaking as someone who uh, decided to do that, uh, what's it called? Uh, I can't remember what they called it, but it was like a social media cold turkey for a month. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So I did it in September. It was sponsored by, I mean, the, the group that I heard, you know, uh, talking about it was a uh, mental health organization in the UK. And I oh, was okay. like, yeah, mental health people think I should do this. I'm going to try it. <laughs> so <laughs> the first week or so, I was like, oh, I want to tell people, you know, what this new Swedish food that I'm eating, you know, take a picture <laughs> and post it on Facebook. And I was like, oh, nope, I'm not doing it. Nope, by the, do by it. the time, yeah, by the time I got to October 1st, I was like, I don't want to go back. This is such a more relaxed kind of life. So I totally get the attraction of uh, yes, yes. And the the whole, the whole farming lifestyle, the simpler life of um, you know growing your own food and and. And being self-sufficient, but yeah, be part of a community. Yeah. That's very attractive to a lot of people. Yeah. Now, I, I actually have never successfully kept very many plants in my whole life alive. So <laughs> I worry about both like becoming Amish or zombie apocalypse. Either way, uh -huh. I'm afraid I'm uh -huh. going to starve to death, but, <laughs> but I like the idea of it. <laughs> well, I, I think it'd be, it would, you would surprise yourself if you had to live that way. Well, that's you know, a good I, point. I, I have not been able to start a garden since we moved to South Dakota. 
But when we lived in Kansas, I had a beautiful big garden that we got a lot of vegetables from. Oh, wow. But it was, it's a different time in my life now, and, and it's, I don't have the patience to learn the new climate. I was just going to say, yeah, every new climate requires new rules. Right, right. The soil's completely different. The, all the frost dates are completely different. Yeah, new rules. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that sounds interesting. I sort of wish that I uh, made some Amish friends so I can just like <laughs> be kind of on the periphery and enjoy the... The idea of it, at least. Uh-huh. Well, I, ha- I had the advantage of having a grandmother who, even though she wasn't raised Amish, she was raised plain. As that's yeah. what we call it. It's uh, just very simple lifestyle. Her parents, my great-grandparents, were both raised in a very um, plain lifestyle. And so she taught me how to do things like make bread and quilt and crochet and knit and, you know, all those things. And I know, I knew how to sew when I was quite young and I would spend weeks with her and she would show me, you know, how she cooked things. And I learned a lot from wow. doing that. And that comes out of my books because I realized that not a lot of people had the, that experience that I had. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, college freshman roommate, um, I went to school at the University of Pennsylvania for a year mm-hmm. and it's right right in the middle of downtown Philadelphia, where now, uh, now meaning like when I was there in 1986, you know, my mom drives in to drop me off. We got lost. We came in the wrong way. It turns out it's the bad way. There's a reason why the college wants you to come in from a different direction. My mom, before we even get to the university, is already thinking, you know what? You just need to come home. There's no reason to go far away. But I was like, I was so young and so naive and so sheltered, you know, to, to that, to the, um, you know, like not sheltered in terms of like, I didn't know anything about anything, but like compared to the world, I was pretty sheltered. And so in in a bid to make sure that my mom didn't turn the car around, I'm like, I'm going to be perfectly fine, mom. There's bars on the windows. No one can get in. <laughs> now that I'm older, I realize, yeah, no wonder her face had that look of, you know, pale. Yes. <laughs> but um, my college roommate was the most interesting person ever because she seemed totally, she seemed to me to be totally at ease in the city world that I knew uh-huh. nothing about, but she was Quaker. And she took me oh, home one yeah. time and she lived, um, you probably know the right word for it, but like in a little community that's all together. Like yeah. They, uh, I don't know what the Quakers call yeah. it, but I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So like um, you, you turn into a driveway and then there's all these houses and then all these other buildings and the whole community eats together. There's a, there's a big building that's all that's just food there's another mm-hmm. big big building that's all just like stuff that you might need so like you your children grow out of clothes you put them in that building and then your kids are growing into another stage of clothes so you go and you see you know what somebody else has in it and like oh. the entire thing was sharing and oh, they made um homemade yogurt and homemade peanut butter homemade uh-huh. jam and I was like, this is the coolest place. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just think that the whole idea is, is really interesting, particularly, you know, the more, even though I'm the first person to buy a tech thing, cause I just, yeah. I love technology, <laughs> all the things that it does. I, I just love playing with widgets and things. Yeah. But, uh, 
But boy, that was such an interesting look at um, what community must have been like not that long ago when groups mm -hmm. of people lived near each other and participated together to, so that everybody had everything that they needed. Right, right. It's so interesting. Yeah, and the, and the Amish lifestyle is, when it works, it's similar to that. Sometimes you have, of course, people are people. Yeah. So you have a community that doesn't work well. And one thing that is interesting about the Amish is that each community is independent and separate from others, but they're not completely separate. The, the ministers in each community talk with the neighboring communities and they work together. And so if there's a little bit of oversight there so that if one minister is completely off the wall and leading the community in a, in a bad direction, there are others there to stop him from doing that. But at the same time, as far as their lifestyle is, each community is separate and independent. So they, they can work back and forth with the other communities. Like if there's a barn raising, everybody in the area will come over and, and help. Yeah. But if um, they don't hit, the Amish don't have insurance because if something happens, if, like if somebody is in an accident or needs to be in the hospital, the community gets together and they pool their resources so that that person's bills are paid and, and they take care of each other that way. Wow. That's really cool. I have to say. <laughs> oh. Now, okay. So both parts of your book, both the, the Amish life and the civil war life, civil war era life, uh -huh. um, sound to me like things that would require a, a pretty good amount of research in order for somebody who knew anything about either or both of those things to feel like they were reading something that made sense, right? Yes. Okay. Right. So for listeners who are about to tackle or in the middle of tackling a project that requires a lot of research, can you give anybody uh, advice about like how to divide and conquer or how to organize it or how to not lose? I know I read something <laughs> that answered the question I now have. Do you have some advice for people? Well, one thing I use are sticky notes. Ah, I don't know if I you can see this. Oh. These, are, these are sticky notes that you can write notes on. Okay. So I use those to mark, I'll, I'll write notes from the page, whatever it is, whatever detail it is. And then this little tab here marks where it is. And I'll write on there a little note like um, early 19th century Ohio politics right there wow so then if i need to go back and find it i just need to look through my sticky notes okay so anybody who's just listening only and not watching on youtube you have got right. to go to an office supply store and find these they look like regular sticky notes only okay. they're tabs right right just a second yeah this is this is what the package looks like oh my goodness i've never and seen these and they are about like the size of three by five cards. And then they have a tab and they are sticky notes. Um, I think Avery makes them. Yeah. Uh, Ready tag is okay. the name. And I got Ready them in Amazon. Oh my gosh. I'm and totally this, linking to that in the show notes. <laughs> these have been a lifesaver because I, I do, I use multiple books and some of them are quite long. And how am I going to find that again? Right. And then if I, that's what I do with my books. If I'm doing research online, 
then I use a writing program called Scrivener. Yeah. And there's a place to keep your research notes there. And I will just copy and paste the, the link to the, to the blog or the website or wherever it is. I found that information. Yeah. And then I'll write a note about it on that, on that entry in Scrivener. Perfect. So that's how I can go back and find that stuff again, because yeah. you're right. There's one detail that I've been wanting to go back to so I can write a blog post on it and I can't find it. Oh. I know it's somewhere in one of these books. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember reading it, but it's, it's hard to find it. Yeah. But another technique I used is that, you know, a book that's a nonfiction book that I'm using for research. I quite often don't read the entire book through. I use the index to help me find the subject that I'm looking for. Or, and then if this, if I want to read more on it, I'll use the book's bibliography to find oh, more. Right. So it's, there, there are ways to do it yeah. so that you don't have a stack of 10 books that you need to read all the way through before you can start writing. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the things that worries me about this project of mine. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's a good idea. You know, I, honestly, it never occurred to me to go to the index and just look for the part of the thing that, that I need today. Right. And, oh. and that will, that usually will give you a few rabbit trails to follow too. Yeah. And more things to look up and more things to read. Yeah, yeah. So at what point do you tell yourself, stop, tomorrow you're going to start writing sentences on this book? Uh, there's, I, I, somebody else asked me this last week, and <laughs> it took me a while to, to figure it out, but I think what it is is that I'll be researching, and all of a sudden the story will be demanding to be told. Oh yeah. It's, you know, it's in there. The story, I, I call it simmering on the back of the stove. All the time I'm doing research, that story is simmering back there. And there comes a time when the pot starts boiling over. I just, I just have to start the writing. Yeah. And that's when I know it's time to start. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I like and it. Usually so by that time I have my characters, I have my outline you know, my synopsis, I know where the, about where, you know, the plot points of the story are going to go. Yeah. So I'm ready to start writing. Nice. And then you just keep telling yourself, you know, you got to keep going you can stop to do research. Do you have any kind of a, a word count or a page count where you're like, I, you've got to do this much today, then you can do more research today? Or how, how do you? I, I, I do it mostly by time. Okay. I have, I've scheduled out my day so that the in the morning, I spend a couple hours writing, and in the afternoon, I'll spend a couple hours writing. But then I save the last hour of the day to catch up on anything that has come up during my writing that I want to research. Oh, good idea. So I keep a piece of paper on, on my desk right in front of my computer, and I'll jot down what it is that I want to research, and then I'll put brackets around that point in my writing so I can come back to it and find it easily the next day. Yeah. Okay, that sounds really good because I've done the brackets thing or the three uh -huh. stars, but then I end up, you know, not coming back to it until I've finished the first draft. And then I'm like, right, okay. And then I get caught up in the research again because now, once again, I don't have anything pushing me along towards right. more writing. Right, right. Okay. And I, I always start my day by uh, going through and revising what I wrote the day before. 
Okay. So I, I usually do, you know, 1500 words a day about uh-huh. that. And so it's easy to go through and revise that many words. And when I, then I, that's when I put in the research that I found the day before, or I might've done it the afternoon before. Okay. And then write around another 1500 ish words for new words. Yep. Brilliant. Yep. Okay. So day, you would, go ahead. If the, day, if the day is going well. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so when you get to the end of, of your first draft, the first time that you've actually written all the words down for the story, you're probably really at the end of your second draft. Yes, because I've already gone through. And I also stop at about a third of the way through and two thirds of the way through. And then I reread the entire thing from the beginning because characters change as you write. Yeah. And details change as you write. So I, I always go back and, and do a complete revision up to my stopping point. So at a third and about at two thirds. And so by the time I finish writing my first draft, which the last few books has been close to midnight on the <gasps> date it's due. Oh, <laughs> or 20 days after the due date. I've yeah. had to ask for an extension a couple of times. But by the time I get there, by the time I turn in that first draft, it is, it's already edited, revised, and polished. It's, just, it's ready for my editor's eyes. Wow. Okay. Now, again, just reminding everyone who's listening, I, I never like to say that this is the way to do it, but right. this is right. certainly a possibility for a lot of us. Honestly, I think that I might have to try this because the whole, um, I, I always am willing to try everybody's advice once uh-huh. right. <laughs> and then anything that worked well. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how you come up with your own way of doing it. Yeah. Because yeah. you try other things and you, and you add in what works and you get rid of what doesn't work and you come up with your own way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely one of those people who, um, I like the idea of writing fast and not editing mm-hmm. the story inside your head, like just getting it out and being, have that passion pushing you through and stuff. But there's a point at which sometimes where I'm just like, okay, I'm, you know, X percent of the way through the story. I know I've already changed this character and that character. <laughs> and right. I kind of don't want to keep going without going back, but I don't want to go back <laughs> and never finish. And, but I like, I like this idea of just know that there are two places where I can go back and bring yep. it all together. Well, I, I tried the writing through at one time, you know, just, just writing through, not going back. And I found that I would get lost in the story. I wouldn't even know where the story was going anymore. Yeah. So I started doing this, and that helped me keep track of what the story was doing. Excellent. This you, is brilliant. Because when you think about it, you're writing a 90,000-word manuscript, and you're doing 1,000 words a day maybe. It's going yeah. to take you a long time to write that manuscript. So you've got three or four months between the time you wrote the first word and the time you're ready to write the end of the story. Yeah. I have to go back and refresh my memory on what's been going on. And during that time I can, there are, are subplots or subtexts that come up that I didn't realize that I wrote in yeah. until I read it again. And by reading it again, that gives me the opportunity to elaborate on those or bring those out more or get rid of them if they're not working. Right. Which may in the end save you from some of the rewriting if you had gone one draft all the way through and then had to do a second draft. Yeah. 
It oh, takes me like longer it. to write my first draft, but I'm happy with it when I'm done. Yeah. yeah. I can I can just give it one quick last read through and send it on to my editor. I like it. I'm excited. This is the first time we've <laughs> had anybody talking about this particular tip. So I'm like, oh, a new writing tip. Well, I like it. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. Well, listen, um, I always could talk forever about writing to writers. Mm -hmm. and I, Me too. I swear I say that every single episode, but um, <laughs> since we can't, are there any other tips that you just kind of wanted to bring up, like things that you like to share with other writers or things that have been specifically coming up for you lately that you're like, oh, and I just learned this other way of doing that? <laughs> well, one thing I've learned that um, I, I've didn't realize how much it affected my writing until I, I realized I was doing it, is that sometimes things just don't work out to write that day. You know, the, the dog has to go to the vet, or, you know, my husband has a day off and we're going to go hiking in the hills. You know, things happen. And if I let too many days go by without writing, I really lose an edge. I, I, it takes me a long time to get back into the writing, like several days to get back into the writing. So um, I have friends who write every day. I write, I try to write six days a week, at least a few hundred words wow. every day so that I can keep the story fresh in my mind and keep going. And that's been something new for me that I've just discovered. And this, I just got done with my 11th book and it's still, you know, I'm, I realize I'm learning with every book that I write. That's cool. Yeah. Nice. Well, you know, um, I'm thinking I've got to make sure that this episode airs during November since it's National Novel Writing Month and a lot of yes. people will be participating. Um, whenever November comes around and I'm pretty close to wanting to, um, like I, uh, production schedule wise, I'm in a place uh -huh. where I'm ready to start a new book. I always figure, yeah, I want to, I want to make sure I take advantage of all that extra energy that happens that month, you know, and yes. Uh, but now I'm thinking, oh, I really like the idea of saying, you know what, don't worry about 50,000 words, worry about getting like really excellent good words. I think I'm going to try this, this new way of doing it. Maybe yeah. get 40,000 really excellent words done. Yeah, rather than the 50,000 or just keep writing and do your, what is it, 1,600 words a day that you yeah. need to for nanorimal yeah. and just block an extra hour in for that read through in the editing at the end right. or before you start in the in the morning yeah, and yeah. shooting for that 50,000. Excellent. And then I love the idea. I'm just um, bringing it up again in case anybody else wants to keep this in mind. I love the idea of having a, a separate notebook or a piece of paper or notepad where you're writing down. These are the things that I need to look up sometime yeah. soon. <laughs> yeah. I can, here's, here's mine. And then when I look them up, I, cross them off and keep going. Nice. Oh, this is great. This is exciting. I think that um, people are going to have a, a lot of extra energy after listening to your uh, pearls of wisdom and, and um, <laughs> tweaking how they've been doing things, see if they can do things a little bit better for, for their style. Well, I do have to admit, though, I have never done NaNoWriMo. Yeah. I've never done the novel writing month. I've, I find that if I'm trying to keep on that kind of schedule, my brain freezes up and yeah. I can't do it. But if I can sit down and write 2000 words a day, but not if you tell me I, I have to. <laughs> yes. 
You know what? Honestly, that I'm so glad that you brought that up because some people might feel like, you know, I'm a nano failure. No, it's just, you know, you have You write differently. Yeah. yeah. Nano's great for the people who write that way. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who they've started their, their book in November because of nano and six months later they've sold it and they're ready to move on to the next story. Yeah. So yeah. it really does work for some people. It yeah. doesn't work for me. Right. Right. <laughs> and for me, it's been a matter of it's worked for a couple of books and it uh -huh. hasn't worked for others. Yeah. Um, yeah. One time I was like, okay, I'm on fire. I'm going to write this Christmas kind of prequel novella to my superhero books. Uh -huh. I already knew in my head everything that was going to happen in the story because it's the backstory for the official right. book one. So right. I already knew the story. All I had to do is put it on paper. So it was like 45,000 word so-called so novella. I can't write uh -huh. short. <laughs> <laughs> and it was done in November and published by, I think, you know, December 23rd. I wanted it to come out yeah. before Christmas because it's a Christmas wedding story. Right. And I was like, what just happened? How did I do that? I don't know because I can't do it again. <laughs> but yeah, some stories, they work for you to do things yeah. this way and other stories, you got to do them that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah I'm, awesome. I'm uh, just starting tomorrow. I'm going to be starting my first ever novella. I've, oh. I've never written one. Yeah. And I, it's a contracted story, so I have a word count that I need to meet. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes if I enjoy trying that smaller word count or not. Yeah. May I ask how many words it's going to be? 25 to 30,000. So it's pretty short. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Are you excited? I, I am. I've done, I've done all the research. I was in Indiana last week and visited some of the places that will be brought out in the novella in the Indiana Amish country. And I've got the synopsis done. I've got my characters done. I'm all ready to dive into the story. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. It's oh also my, my first contemporary story, <gasps> which Ooh, will be great. very different. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Have fun. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's going to be for a collection of uh, Amish novellas that will come out next Christmas, 2019. Excellent. Oh my yeah. gosh, that sounds fun. And will that be with Baker Ravel or a different company? It will be with actually um, Baker Bethany House. Oh. So still part of the Baker line, but with the Bethany House imprint. Excellent. Oh, yay. Yeah. That'll be great fun. I think so. I'm looking forward to it. Oh my goodness. Okay, we need to make sure people know about your latest book. So tell us again the, the title and series. It's The Sound of Distant Thunder. And it's the first book in the Amish of Weaver's Creek. Excellent. And tell listeners, you know, where can they find this and your other books and you and, and uh, everything they might want to mm -hmm. know about following you online? Well, the best place to go to find my books is um, my website, which is jandrexler.com. And I have links to all of my books there that you can order from Barnes and Noble or Amazon or christianbook.com or any place like that. Um, my books are also available in most bookstores. So Books A Million, Barnes and Noble, uh, Lifeway, all those kinds of uh, bookstores. Excellent. And you can also find me on Facebook, uh, Jan Drexler Author is my author page. And I, I, I try to be active there, even though we talked about taking a break from social media. 
<laughs> I try to be active on my author page. And I, I post two or three times a week, something, sometimes something about my books, but most of the time about what I'm thinking about, what I'm doing, and, or I'll share a picture or something like that. Okay. I, I like to talk about the Black Hills and hiking in the Black Hills. So that's a lot of my blog posts or, my, or my, what I share on Facebook is about that. Nice. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Very cool. And sometimes I even share pictures of my dog. Oh, <laughs> sweet. What kind of dog do you have? He's a, a Pembroke Welsh Corgi, oh, a tricolor. Wow. He's oh. a, a lot of fun. If you know anything about Welsh Corgis, you know that they can be pretty snarky sometimes. And they're very independent little dogs. Yeah. And, that, and I think that's a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And do you have, have any uh, corgis or other dogs in your books? Um, I do have a dog in, I have a new book coming out from Love Inspired in February. And there's a dog there whose name is Jenny. And she was patterned after a dog we had when our children were young. Oh, nice. So she's just a, a plain brown dog, but she's faithful to the end. Oh, and what's the name of that book? That book is called Convenient Amish Proposal. Nice. And it's coming from Love Inspired in February. February 2019. Yes. Excellent. Wow. Jan, this has been such a good time talking to you. Fun and interesting. Fun. And yeah. So thank you so much for joining us and for giving us. Well, so thank you. Well, thank you for having me. And I'll talk to you again sometime. <laughs>